turn to Matthew uh, chapter 21. I know that Bob tried to fool you last week by telling you to turn to Colossians. Um, but we're going to be, we're finishing up Matthew chapter 21. So... Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the story of the two sons, um, which is a unique parable to just Matthew. And we saw words of comfort as well as words of judgment. For the comfort for the person who recognized uh, their wrong and went, repented and changed, and words of judgment to the person who said he would do one thing but then did the opposite and was just sort of hypocritical. And that parable is just, again, a judgment on the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel. Um, and all of this is a warning to us as well, because each one of these parables really is meant for us. Uh, so what role do we play? Where are we in the story? And it's a warning against hypocrisy. It's a warning against looking like we're something but then acting like something else. Um, pretending that we are holy or righteous, but having no relationship with Christ, who is the one who makes us righteous. And so today we're going to be looking at the parable of the landowner, which is another parable about a vineyard, which again is taken from the prophets, as they use that example all the time for Israel. For the nation of Israel was this vineyard. And both parables have a main point, but this parable has many specific points of representation. For, but go ahead and take a minute and read through Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. Who's the landowner in this parable? God. Who's the vineyard? Israel at this point. But for today, who would it be? The church. Um, who are the tenant farmers in the vineyard? the chief priests, the Pharisees, uh, those who have been called to lead um, and to care for the vineyard. 
who would that be for us today? If the vineyard is the church, who's, who would, who would this, these tenant farmers be? All believers. All believers. Maybe a special responsibility upon pastors or shepherds or leaders, elders, whoever. But it's for all believers. The servants that are sent by the landowner are the prophets that God has sent to Israel over the years. So the prophets, the word of God, and then, of course, last but most importantly, the son of the landowner is Jesus Christ. So he's giving them this parable, and he's putting this mirror right in front of their face and saying, here, guys, take a look. Quit looking elsewhere. This is time that you look at yourself in the mirror and see what you're doing, see what you've done. And it's not a pretty picture. When I look in the mirror, it's not a pretty picture at all. And sometimes when we take an honest look at our own relationship with Christ, when we take a look at our own relationship with the body of believers, when we take a look at our own responsibility to the body of believers, that sometimes isn't always a pretty picture. But the beauty of that picture, the beauty of being able to look in the mirror, Jesus says, I love you. And regardless of wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever it's gone, you are loved and forgiven. And so it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what happened five minutes ago. What matters is what's happening right now in your heart with Christ. Um, so even as he warns them of the coming judgment, he is also showing them a picture of God's love, of God's grace, of God's patience to continue to bring warning after warning after warning. And you would think that after seeing this warning, after seeing God's love, God's grace, God's patience, it would have caused them to respond with humility and repentance. And even if not with humility and repentance, with sort of wonder and awe and, and praise for a God who would continue to show his compassion and his love for this people. But the fact that they responded the way they did continued to show the, show the hardness of their hearts. That instead of responding, they continued to just reject the claims of God. For in the Old Testament, it would be rejecting the prophets. For us, it would be rejecting the claims of Christ. And the parable can be broken down into three basic parts. If you look at verses 33 through 41, you will just see the story of how they rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Christ. They rejected the Lord. Um, and finally rejected him and killed him. And then verses 42 through 44, you will see G Jesus pronounce judgment upon them. And then in verse 45 and through 46, you will see the reaction of the chief priests and the Pharisees as they recognize that Jesus is talking about them. Um, so in verse 33 through 41, as Jesus tells the story, surely one of his great concerns is to show the spiritual leaders of Israel 
and to unbelieving Israel how hard their hearts have been towards God. And it just so reminds me of talking to people today whose hearts are so hardened to God, unwilling to surrender and submit their lives. Now, the interesting thing is that many of them think that they have. But when the scripture clearly tells us how we're supposed to live, they just put their hand up and said, not today. Not today. Now, the first person we meet is the landlord who sets aside one of his tracts of land and plants a vineyard in it. Now, folks, this is a common practice. Uh, landowners would do that. They would have their land. Then they would set it up, and then they would lease it out or have tenant farmers that would do that. Uh, it was a good crash, cash crop and a good crop for an investor to plant. But there's something very different about this landowner because typically landowners weren't that generous. They weren't very kind. They didn't provide their uh, tenants with the best equipment. But here this landowner has prepared the land, put a fence around it for protection, put up a watchtower, put in a wine press, has done everything he possibly can to provide this land or this vineyard with the best opportunity to succeed. That's what God has done with the church. He's provided us as believers every possible opportunity to be effective, to be successful in our walk with Christ. We have the scripture, we have the fellowship, we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything that you could possibly ask for to live an effective life. But for whatever reason, people will hold on to other things instead of surrendering it to Christ. And so he does this, the landlord rents out the vineyard to vine growers. And these people are experts in the cultivation, harvesting, and processing of grapes. They agree in, on a contract to when the crop comes in that they will give money back to the owner. And so when the time comes, the owner goes and sends out his servants to collect it. And he's in Mark, it gives you a clear example of what he did to each one of them. Matthew just condenses it, says he beats one, kills one. And you would think at that point, after the first one was beat, that the landowner would say, okay, I'm going in there with the law, I'm going in there with the army, and we're going to take back the, the land. And he doesn't do it. Instead, he sends another servant. That servant gets killed. And again, you would think, okay, humanly speaking, I'm going to go in and, you know, take back the land. And he sends another servant. And then he sends more servants. Till finally to the point he sends his son. That's the incredible tolerance that this man, this landowner, has shown to the people. This is the incredible tolerance that God has shown to the nation of Israel. This is the incredible tolerance that God has shown to us. 
that people continue to reject him, continue to abuse his prophets, continue to do that till finally he sends his son. And so you have the hard picture here of this hardened attitude of rebellion against the rightful owner of the field. Um, and Jesus is telling the chief priest, this, this is what you've done to me. This is two days before he's going to be crucified. This is what you've done to me. And in two days, you're going to take me out, outside the city, you're going to beat me, and you're going to kill me. This is the mirror that they're looking at. Um, now, two particular thoughts of the story jump out at me. And they may be a whole bunch of different ones for you. But for me, the first thought is the unbelievable patience of this landowner. No landowner would have acted this way. And that's the point. No human landowner would have ever shown this patience. In fact, when the Pharisees finally give their answer in verse 41 to what will happen, their answer is not an, an overstatement. It's an understatement as to what Jesus could have done. You see, what Jesus is saying, that if God had done what he could have done, what he should have done, what legally he could have done, you would have had it worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. But instead, he shows love and grace. Um, as God continues to show his love and his grace through the prophets to make constant overtures to his people. Please respond to God. That's what the prophets are constantly saying to him. And every time, his people reject him. And he continues to send more. And finally, again, he sends his son. And Jesus is highlighting in the very details of this parable the greatness of the love and the patience of God. Do we fully grasp that? The patience and the love of Christ. Now, just as an aside, what if the landowner was your dad? And you're his son. And he goes, they've killed all the servants. I need you to go and collect the money. How many of us are going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm game. I'm up for it. Or if we did, perchance, say, okay, Dad, you know that I will do whatever you tell me to do because I've always done whatever you told me to do. How many of us would just go without calling up all of our friends, arming them, and saying, okay, if I'm going, I'm going with power. I'm going with authority. I'm going with a way to take back the land violently. But instead, he, the son goes. He does not take his friends. He does not take an army. He doesn't even go armed himself because he is brutally murdered and thrown out into the street, uh, out of the vineyard, like the carcass of an unwanted animal. That is incredible. That is inconceivable to me. 
It's unbelievable. And if you're thinking to yourself, this man and the son could not be human, you're finally getting the picture of the parable. It's the power of God. It's a story of God. It's a story of his son. It's a story of unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. The second thing I saw in the parable is the tenants plan to kill his son for the inheritance. Now, that seems strange at first to me. He said, it's the owner. Why would they kill the son and think that they're going to get the inheritance? And the only thing I could think at that point was if this farmer had sent all, or this landowner had sent all these servants, and they're finally sending his son, the logical conclusion, humanly, not from the scripture, was... Maybe the, maybe the owner's dead too. And finally the son is coming. And if we kill the son, we can justify, go before the court and say, you know, we've been farming this land. There is nobody else to inherit it. We get it. Uh, that's the only thing that I could think of. Um, but the point that Matthew is making and the point that Jesus is making is that they have forgotten who the vineyard belongs to. Do we sometimes forget that? Do we forget who the church belongs to? Do we forget who believers belong to? Do we forget who this world belongs to? Do we forget who we belong to? So when God says, I need for you to do this, I need for you to serve your community, I need for you to love one another. I need for you to forgive one another. I need for you to live out the fruit of the Spirit. I need for you to live out 1 Corinthians 13 as a verb, as a love, as being patient, kind, forgiving one another. Do we sometimes forget who the owner is? And we say, well, that sounds good, God. But you haven't been around for a while. And because you haven't been around for a while, or you weren't there when I prayed the last time, I don't think I really believe that you're still the owner of the land. I don't think that you still are interested. I still don't believe that you are there when I need you. So I think I'll just do it my way. And that's basically what these people were doing. We forgot who owns the land. We forget who owns our money. We forget who owns our time. We forget who owns everything we have and that we are only stewards and we are accountable and responsible to God. So instead of submitting to the Son, they have usurped their authority and they have placed themselves in God's place. I see that happening all the time. I see it happening in my life. I see it happening in our society where people have said, you know, God's not relevant. He hasn't shown up. So I will now be God in my own life. I don't need to look to him. Which leads to this heart of rebellion, which then leads to Jesus pronouncing judgment in verses 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is a marvelous in, our, in your, our eyes. 
Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus turns and questions the people who are standing around them, and then immediately turns to an explanation of the parable. He takes them to Psalm 118. And basically says, have you people never read Psalm 118? Where it talks about the cornerstone being rejected. And then he goes on to quote from Daniel chapter 2, focusing on the stone which Daniel spoke of. And he's saying, my kingdom is the kingdom about which Daniel was speaking. And my kingdom is going to be established just like the stone spoken of in Daniel's prophecy, destroyed the idols around it and established a kingdom that would be forever and ever. See, it doesn't matter whether we do anything or not. God's kingdom is still going to be established. The choice that we have is the same choice that the Pharisees had. Do we going to partner with him or are we going to be left behind? And the Pharisees we're going to be left behind. And that's the meaning of the statement in verse 44 where it says, He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. There's an old rabbinic saying that goes something like this. If a pot, if a pot falls on a rock, woe to the pot. If the rock falls onto the pot, woe to the pot. In both cases, the pot loses. And that's, so that's just that statement. If you're not going to follow God, if you're not going to surrender your life to Christ, if you're not really going to get serious about that, woe to you. Because God's kingdom is going to be established. As Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were a people, for you, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but you have received mercy that's what he's calling us to. That's what he's calling us to. A hope would be given back to mankind as a new people would be called out. The church would be born and the kingdom of God would go forth in a new way. And so before then, they have one of two choices and those same choices are before us. They can either be a part of that kingdom and be blessed or they can oppose it and be crushed by the stone of the kingdom. And that's true that's going to happen in our culture. It's going to happen in our society. It happens in every generation before us. It will happen in every generation before us. There will be a people who will say, yes, I'm a part of the body of Christ. Yes, I've committed my life to him. I'm a part of the living church, the organic church that is growing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or there'll be others that would say, no. I'm not going to do it. They'll have a spirit of rebellion. And then they will be crushed. And that's not any 
judgment other than it's just fact. Because when you take a look at the prophets, the prophets did not come and prophesy against the kings because they didn't like the kings. They didn't prophesy because they hated the kings. They didn't prophesy against the nation of Israel because they hated the nation of Israel. The opposite is true. They prophesied to bring people back to God. They prophesied to bring people back into a right relationship with God. They prophesied because of love. That when somebody comes to you and gives you the word of God, he's doing that or she's doing that out of love in order to see a person's life be right with God. Because only then is life right. And so the prophets were not people of hate. They were saying, God's called you. And he's got a great plan. And you're rejecting it. And woe to you. And thus you turn around. So they go to him and they say, you're rejecting his prophets. You're rejecting John. You're rejecting me. And I'm the Messiah. Now forsake that rejection and come to me. And when they saw it, their response ought to have been humbled obedience to Christ. But instead, verses 45 and 46 tells you what they did. Instead, they understood that Jesus was talking about them and instead of receiving God's love and God's grace and God's truth, they said, let's kill him. Let's arrest him. But they didn't because they were afraid of the people. Hear that. They were more afraid of the people than they were of God. Is that not the same today? People are more afraid of people than they are of God. They're more afraid of taking a stand for God than they are of going along with the crowd with people. They're more afraid of rejection from people than they are to say, you know what, this just doesn't work in my life. This is, this is what God tells me to do. See, this parable isn't for the Pharisees. This parable is for us. Uh, the way we respond to God's word is a mark of the presence or absence of grace. When we respond to God's word and say yes, that's just we're responding to his grace. When we say no, I don't care about your warnings. You haven't been around. I haven't seen any evidence of you. I'm just going to go do my own thing. It's sort of acting like the Pharisees or like the tenants of the farm. Yeah. The owner will never show up, so let's just go do what we want to do. But the day the owner does show up, woe to us. So we have, just have to ask ourselves, when I do a self-evaluation and I look in the mirror, who am I? What is my relationship with God? Am I responding to God's grace and God's love and God's power? And am I saying, yes, Lord. I want to be a part. And I want to be fully a part. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be anything else. I just want to love and serve you 
and make you first and foremost in all areas of my life. And again, it doesn't matter where we've been yesterday. It doesn't matter where we were in our heart the minute we walked into this worship space. What matters is what you're going to be like when you leave here. That's what's important. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and hear your parables. And that each one of these parables is a parable of truth, of judgment, but at the same time of your grace, of your love, of that every time you pronounce any kind of a judgment, you also pronounce truth and grace and love that all a person has to do is respond to you. And Lord, there's times that we just keep on going and doing our own thing, our own way, just forgetting that you're the owner. You own us. You own the land. You own everything. And you've called us to be good stewards, to be a witness to your grace, to be a witness to your love, to serve your community, to live out 1 Corinthians 13 in our lives, to let the fruit of the Spirit just be what drives us. And so, Lord, help us to just surrender to the fullness of who you are so that we truly can love others the way you have loved us. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. In the name of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.